Father, we thank you for the time that we have had here already this morning, and we look expectantly, God, toward hearing your word. And God, I pray that there would be nothing between your word and your people, not me, not opinions, not moods, but God, that we would hear clearly from you as your spirit speaks words of truth that can never fail. Let their truth prevail over our unbelief. Speak life to those who don't know you and convict and build up the ones who do. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So a lot going on here today. Let's go back to verse 1 here. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. So as we move into chapter 2 of this three-chapter letter, it's important to remember, as we so often say, and it may even seem elementary to say it, but it needs to be said again, this is a letter that Peter wrote to some people at a certain time. And it was preserved for us, and we get the benefit of reading it and being ministered to by it as well. And the reason I'm saying that is that here we got one of those frustratingly pesky chapter divisions that unfortunately something happens in our head, something happens where we just we see a chapter number and we think into thought, new thought. And we talk about that with Romans 7 and 8 so much. It, you really strip the power of Romans 8, 1 if you don't include the end of Romans 7 in with that. So this particular chapter division tends to break the thought pattern of the original letter, the thought pattern that preceded it, and that's unfortunate. So um, Will asked me, he said, can I grab the previous verse to get context? I said, yeah, definitely you can do that. Um, but what I want to do is go back and read 16, uh, chapter 1, verse 16, through chapter 2, verse 3, because it is the context and context rules. So I'm just going to read it and pay attention, particularly when you get to 2.1, to the contrastive conjunction but you can't just say pay attention to the but because that gets snickers in the audience. So, see, see. <laughs> Four, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to Him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with Him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But... False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, 
bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So do you see that? We had just seen how God had used men to carry His message. Peter talking about his eyewitness accounts of what happened and how the Holy Spirit breathed upon and breathed out through men who were carried along by that Holy Spirit to ensure that God's message is accurately conveyed. Now, here in today's passage, again, the contrastive conjunction, but so this starts as a contrast to the message brought by those inspired men initially. Let's see, there we go. No, no, there it was. But, there it is. (laughs) So, but, men spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, but, but what? But false prophets also arose among the people. In contrast to the Holy Spirit carrying people along and inspiring them to write what God wanted said and passed down, there will be people, there have been people, and there will be people, who want to say that they are speaking through and for God, but they're not. So these false prophets are in direct contrast to the inspired apostles. And what they say is in contrast to the apostolic truth. That's the foundation of everything we're going to say today. And just so that we're clear, false prophets in the text is one Greek word and it's pseudo-prophetes. That's pretty easy to parse out, isn't it? The definition is one who, acting the part of a divinely inspired prophet, utters falsehoods under the name of divine prophecies. Peter says later in the verse that they're secretly bringing in destructive heresies. It's intentional and it's subversive and it's satanic. So these guys aren't just saying that they have some nice thoughts or a devotional thought to add to what the Bible's saying or what the apostles are teaching. They have some nice thoughts to add to the apostolic discussion. That's not what's going on here. They are saying, thus says the Lord, when the Lord did not thusly say. And they're expecting people to believe them, though they themselves know it's not true. And we'll see through the rest of the passage, they're doing it for their own gain, manipulating the system in order to elevate themselves and give themselves a platform to work from. Warren Wiersbe says it this way, Not only was their message false, but their methods were false. Instead of openly declaring what they believed, they came into the church under false colors and gave the impression that they were true to the Christian faith. They secretly bring in alongside, as the literal translation, they do not throw out the truth immediately, Wiersbe says. They simply lay their false teachings alongside the truth and give the impression that they believe the fundamentals of the faith. Now note that. And then he finishes by saying this, Before long... They remove the true doctrine and leave their false doctrine in its place. Now I'm taking pains to make sure you understand this is not an accident. This is not somebody mistakenly mistakenly misinterpreting Scripture and saying, I think it could mean this. These people are rubbing their hands together and saying, I'm going to put in my own doctrine in place of the true doctrine. 
And these types of people arose and were active at the same time as the apostles. Well, of course they were. And if you look through the Old Testament, they had arisen many a time in Jewish history as well. It has always been the satanic way and the way of natural man to imitate God's truth. Jesus spoke in Matthew 13 about an enemy sowing seeds in the master's field. And that's the mindset here. There's always the false among the true. There's always the work of the deceiver in the midst of the work of God. Always. So don't think we're immune to this. We're not. But false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Uh, They arise among the people and they purposefully, deceptively, secretly bring in destructive heresies. And remember, Wiersbe had pointed out that the secretly bring in destructive heresies literally means they secretly bring in alongside. Alongside the truth. Alongside the inspired. These false prophets bring in destructive heresies. Now remember Peter saying that he and his apostolic brethren hadn't followed cleverly devised myths when they reported their eyewitness accounts. Well, it makes a little more sense as to why he said that now, right? Because people certainly were at that time concocting cleverly devised myths and they were secretly bringing them in alongside the inspired words of the the apostles, alongside the teachings and commandments of Jesus that had been entrusted to the apostles. And, And let me just punctuate this for just a second sidebar. Remember, the apostles are simply teaching what Jesus had told them to teach. They're teaching, according to the Great Commission, all the things that I commanded you, Jesus says. So it's not like the apostles are getting together and saying, okay, let's drum this up, let's work this up. What should we say? They're saying, what did Jesus say? And let's tell the people that. And that's incredibly important. What is the source of the teaching? The source of the teaching is Christ. The source of the teaching is Jesus in His earthly ministry, what He taught them, what He commanded them. And these destructive heresies are man-breathed. They're man-invented. And that word heresies is defined as... Now check this out. It translates as sect, S-E-C-T, five times, and heresy four times. And here's the definition. Act of talking, storming a city... Choosing, choice, that which is chosen. And here we go. A body of men following their own tenets. In other words, a sect or a party. There was a heresy of the Sadducees. There was a heresy of the Pharisees. There was a teaching and doctrine of the Christians. Another definition is dissensions arising from diversity of opinions and aims. Now note that. These heresies, it's a sect, a division, a dissension, and it stems from a choice. And then that last part again, it arises from diversity of opinions and aims. And think about that, opinions and aims. So opinions are, they sound something like this. No, I don't think that's what that means. And I'll show you that it's wrong and that I'm right. And then people gather around that person and or that teaching and they, all of them, in like-minded division, push their heresy. And Peter says the outcome of these heresies is 
destruction. They're destructive heresies. And please listen to this because this sets the tone for something else we're going to say later too. There, these aren't just, oh shucks, it's no big deal thoughts, feelings, or teachings. Can't we all just get along? Can't we just have unity? Not with destructive heresies, we can't. These destructive heresies destroy those who adhere to and teach them. And we'll see just a bit in verse 3 and then through the rest of chapter 2 as we work through it later that Peter says and shows that these divisive heretics are bound for destruction themselves. He says their destruction is not asleep in verse 3 and then the rest of the chapter is him showing how God destroyed others in the past who acted the same way giving the examples of angels, Sodom and Gomorrah and Balaam. That's the rest of the chapter. So please, what I'm trying to push here, what I'm really trying to emphasize is this. This is not to be taken lightly. Destructive heresies are just that. Destructive heresies. And Peter shows how far these destructive heresies go as he finishes the verse by saying, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Yeah, these false prophets even deny the master who bought them. They deny Jesus himself. And if there is any teaching that is, term, that is to be determined heretical, you definitely want to start with where does the teaching stand on Jesus? If a teaching depicts Jesus as anything other than God in the flesh, the second person of the Trinity who was born of a virgin and lived a sinless life and died a sacrificial death for the sins of His people on the cross, then was raised on the third day from the dead, showed Himself alive to many eyewitnesses over a period of 40 days, then ascended into heaven where He ever lives to intercede for His people until the day He comes back to reign forever with them, then that teaching is heretical. And that is of utmost importance. There surely are many other destructive heresies, but those centered around Jesus are the most vile and destructive. Listen, if we don't get Christ right, we don't have any Christianity. Period. And Peter says that these false prophets are even denying or rejecting Jesus. And note the phrase, the master who bought them. Now what does that mean? Were these false prophets bought by Jesus? Were they redeemed? And then they denied Him? Are they people who used to believe and now they don't? Well, here at Providence Bible Church, we are firmly in the camp that once Jesus saves somebody, they will persevere. They will not fall away. They may take small and great detours on the way to heaven, but God's keeping power will keep and preserve them all the way home. God initiates salvation, God saves, God keeps, and God finishes. Faithful is He who calls you. He will surely do it. It's all God's work. So did God lose His grip on these false prophets? And they then denied the Master who bought them? Well, again, here's a place where we have to let Scripture interpret Scripture. If we just pulled this phrase out, we could say these people were bought and now they're false prophets and they're heretics. So they must have been saved and fell away, which means that you can fall away and lose your salvation. If we just take this phrase off the page and base a doctrine off of it. But we don't do that. 
we interpret this phrase in light of what we know from the rest of the Bible. I'm going to read several sentences where Thomas Schreiner gives good insight to this passage when he says, quote, and I'll end the quote when the quote ends because that's how you should quote people. Quote, Some who submit to Christ's lordship subsequently deny Him and are therefore damned forever. This is now the view of most commentators and it has the virtue of providing a lucid and uncomplicated understanding of the text. At one level, the proposed interpretation is correct. Some members of the Christian community had departed from the Christian faith. The issue is whether those who are genuinely Christians can commit apostasy. Peter taught elsewhere that those who are called by God's grace are effectually called by His own glory and excellence, 2 Peter 1.3. And 1 Peter 1.5 clearly says that those who belong to God will be preserved by His power through faith so that they will possess eschatological salvation. Pause for a second in the quote. Eschatological means in times, when all things are finished and done in the hereafter. So let me reread that. Peter says uh, those who belong to God will be preserved by His power through faith so that they will possess eschatological end times, last times, salvation. Continuing the quote. When we add to this many other texts that teach that those whom God has called will never perish, and he gives a few examples, Romans 8, 28-39, 1 Corinthians 1, 8-9, Philippians 1, 6, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23-24, etc., 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 it suggests that we should consider another interpretation other than these people were saved and fell away. Schreiner says, I would suggest that Peter used (coughs) phenomenological language. In other words, thank you, he described the false teachers as believers because they made a profession of faith and gave every appearance initially of being genuine believers. Peter did not refer to those who had been outside the community of faith, but to those who were part of the church and perhaps even leaders among God's people. Almost done with the quote. Their denial of Jesus Christ reveals that they did not truly belong to God even though they professed faith. Peter said that they were bought by Jesus Christ in the sense that they gave every indication initially of genuine faith. In every church there are members who appear to be believers and who should be accepted as believers according to the judgment of charity. As time elapses and difficulties arise, it becomes apparent that they are wolves in the flock, as Acts 20 talks about, that though they called on Jesus as Lord, their disobedience shows that they have never that they never that He never knew them, and they're like the seed sown on rocky or thorny ground that initially bears fruit but dries up and dies when hard times come, Matthew 13, end of quote. Why am I saying all that? Why did I read that long, lengthy quote? Listen, we have to ask ourselves these questions when we come upon them in different passages. If we just took this single verse and formed a doctrine around it, we run the risk of being heretics ourselves. Never, never, never take a lone verse a lone chapter, or even a lone book and base your doctrine off of it. There are 66 books in your Bible. Examine whatever questions you have when you come across them in the Scripture in light of the rest of the Bible. That's incredibly important. Well, it says in Acts that we're supposed to do this. 
Well, it also says in Romans and 1 Corinthians and Galatians that we're supposed to do this. So how do we figure that out? We've got to balance it out with the fullness of Scripture. And so I've got to put a pin in that. We'll come back to that later. But before we move on from this verse, I want to look at one more thing. Note the switch from prophets to teachers in this verse. We mentioned this Wednesday night. Peter says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Why didn't he just say, And you watch out because you're going to have to deal with false prophets too? Why the switch? I can't help but think that Peter knew that the apostolic teaching period was coming to a close. He was about to die. He knew that. Everything that they needed to convey had been conveyed. They had conveyed Jesus' teachings and commands having been passed down to the next generation. Churches at this time of Peter's writing were growing and the teaching was being shared amongst this second generation of believers. Listen, and all of the followers of Jesus that would come after this time would be focused not on new revelation, not on prophetic insight, not on fresh prophetic utterances. But all the followers of Jesus that would come after this time would be focused on the teaching that had already been handed down. The teaching that had already been taught. Paul had told Timothy to entrust what he had heard from Paul to faithful men who would be able to teach others also. Paul didn't tell Timothy, find some spiritual people who can give you some prophetic utterances. Find faithful men who would be able to teach others also. So you see that? Their teaching was now to be passed from generation to generation as teaching, not as fresh revelation, not as prophetic utterance. It was going to be the work of teachers and preachers to make sure the purity of the teaching was preserved. So Peter didn't have to warn against false prophets, but instead against false teachers. False prophets arose in the midst of the apostolic age just as false teachers would arise after them. And they'll be as dangerous as the false prophets. Let's look at verse 2. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. Yeah, these false teachers will, unfortunately, be very effective. Peter says many will follow their sensuality. Many. It's not a handful of fanatics or loonies on the fringe somewhere. It's a lot of people who follow. And many will follow. The word many means much, great, large. Don't miss that. And this great mass of followers will follow the false teacher's what? Sensuality. That's a pretty loaded word. Sensuality means sinful abandon. Indulgence and sensual pleasure unrestrained by convention or morality, according to the Bible sense lexicon. And it also connotes sexual immorality and general sexual desires as well. And many will follow that, for sure. And don't forget that these teachers are teaching where? In the context of the church. They've denied Jesus and broken off into sects and now they're peddling pleasure at any cost to their followers in churches. No wonder many follow them. They're telling people that God wants them to be happy. God is for their pleasure. God's going to spare them from harm or danger or persecution. 
I can't count the times I've heard in therapy situations that somebody left their spouse and or engaged in extramarital affairs. Why? Because God wants me to be happy. And they believe that. And a lot of times they've gotten that counsel from people in the church. Put that alongside the message of the cross that Jesus passed down through the apostles and it's much more attractive to the carnal man who wants a God, little g, who will entertain and bless them with abundance and fun. These false teachers speak to the senses and that appeals to the masses. It's the you deserve the best crowd. And again, it's no wonder many people will follow their sensuality. The false gospel of pleasure. And Peter says, because of them, because of these false teachers, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Again, this is no small deal. It's gravely consequential. How many times have you heard people dismiss church and Jesus and religion because of hucksters who are teaching and living nonsense and calling it gospel ministry? How many preachers and church leaders have been disgraced because of sensuality and scandals of that ilk? And so the world looks on, rolls its eyes, and figures that these types typify the quote-unquote spiritual life. They blaspheme. They speak evil of the way of truth because what they're seeing is not genuine, but a counterfeit passing itself off as the real deal. People associate all this sensuality, all these masses following it, and everything about it with Jesus which could not be further from the truth, obviously. Now the question is why? Why would these people do this? Well, verse 3 gives us a pretty good picture of why. And also what's coming due to it. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. And there you go. Now we see what motivates these false prophets and these false teachers. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Turns out, heresy pays well. They preach and teach sensuality because they know people will follow that. They'll be drawn to that. And where there are many... Guess what else is there? More money. More and more money. Where more and more people are, more and more money is. The more people you corral, the more cash is in the pool. Greed is a powerful motivator. And people can and will justify almost anything if it nets them enough green. And how much is enough? Well, for the greedy, it's always more, right? There is no enough for greedy people. And make sure you understand what I'm saying here. Don't get me wrong. The Bible does not condemn being wealthy. But, like alcohol, which Scriptures don't condemn, but wealth and alcohol both, the Scriptures warn consistently of the dangers of being wealthy. And of alcohol. It's not a message about alcohol, but got to throw that in. 
You may remember this oft-quoted couple of verses from 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into what? Ruin and destruction. Amazing, huh? For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith, sounds familiar, and pierced themselves with many pangs. And these false teachers back in 2 Peter are depicted clearly as those who desire to be rich. And their vehicle for making wealth is exploiting followers of Jesus or those who think they're following Jesus with false words. That word exploit means to cheat someone out of something. To deprive somebody of something by deceit. It also means to conduct business. These false teachers have made a business of cheating God's people out of their money. I can't help but think of members of the older community giving their money to televangelists and other hucksters. I think we'd be completely blown away if we knew how many people have willed their life savings to some celebrity preacher who called out time and time again how they needed more and more transactions to fund their quote-unquote ministry. Amanda and I were talking about this the other day. We heard of a man, knew a man. When he died, he had $900,000 in the bank. And he gave it all to a televangelist in his will. Why, why, why would people do that? Because they're being exploited by false words. And there's your false words. They're liars. They're manipulators. They twist truth and practice their verbal sleight of hand to funnel your funds into their pockets. Greed and exploitation and lies, lies, lies. And the main problem is that they're very good at it. It's as if some invisible force is aiding them or something, right? So very devilish, so very satanic for sure. And they mix in just enough truth to make it sound biblical. And they could probably quote the Bible better than you can. And they know just to put in a little bit of alloy so that the steel isn't pure, the gold isn't pure. And while they are getting away with it, it seems, they're not. And they definitely won't ultimately get away with it. Their condemnation, Peter says, from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. Now note that. And here we go because this is going to set the tone for the rest of today and maybe the next couple of weeks. This last sentence sets the tone for this destruction that's coming upon these false teachers. We'll finish with this thought today, but again, we're going to carry it through at least in the next week, maybe the next two weeks. Peter says that these hucksters may look like they're getting away with their destructive heresies. They're flying around in private jets. They're living in mansions. People are flocking to them. But ultimately, they will not only not get away with it, the justice due them is already taking shape. He says their condemnation from long ago is not idle. It's an odd phrase, don't you think? These false prophets and false teachers seem to be living high on the hog. They have the outward appearance of what they call blessing. They're affluent. They front large, seemingly powerful ministries. Again, air quote ministries. 
They give every appearance of getting away with it, but they're not getting away with it, and they won't get away with it. Peter says that their condemnation, that condemnation is coming for them, and that condemnation, he says, is two things. It's from long ago, and it's not idle. Now keep in mind, condemnation is a negative judgment, a pronouncement of guilt and wrongdoing. And that's why we celebrate Romans 8.1. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So there's no negative judgment. There's no uh, proclamation of woe against those who are in Christ Jesus. But these false teachers are already condemned. It just doesn't show yet. It's from, but it's from long ago. That means that the just sentence for such actions was marked out a long time ago. Jude 4. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality, again, familiar, and deny, familiar again, our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now note that. Their condemnation, they were designated for it. Now what's that mean? Jude's words are that these people were long ago designated for condemnation. It's their designation, their part to play in all of this. And those who play this part receive condemnation, and it has been true from the beginning. Peter also says that their condemnation is not idle. What does that mean? To idle means to be inactive. So he's saying that their condemnation is not just in a holding pattern, waiting for the day to come. Listen, the gears are in motion. And as they promulgate themselves and their false doctrine, they are heaping more and more condemnation upon themselves. God is not ignoring them. He's not turning a blind eye to all of it. He sees, He knows, and He is responding in real time with the culmination coming at the end of all things. Just as Peter said to set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ, Paul says in Romans 12, 19, in the same way we're to set our hope on the grace that's coming, Paul says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Why? For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So this condemnation is marked out from long ago, and it's not idle. Patience. Vengeance is God's, and He will repay. And He's in the process of setting that up even now. It's all moving toward perfect justice. And that wrath that is being stored up is growing in intensity and its duration is eternal. And like I said, Peter's going to expand on this through the rest of chapter 2. And however many messages that turns into, we'll see that more and more. But for now, we're done with our passage today, big three verses, and we'll turn our attention to application. Four D's. Delude, deduce, Denounce and deliver. Delude, deduce, denounce, deliver. Do, 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 do. First application point is delude. D-E-L-U-D-E. And the application from our passage is this. This is a really simple application point. There always have been... There are, 
and there always will be as long as history moves forward false teachers. Always has been, always will be. Now we have to know and understand that. Because if we don't, we're not paying attention. If, if we don't know somebody's in our blind spot and we get over, what are we going to do? We're going to have an accident, right? So we've got to be on the watch. Now listen, what this does not mean is that we've got to be paranoid. Is everything wrong? Is everybody wrong? But we do have to have the antenna up going, okay, does this match up with the biblical truth? And then we'll get into that in the next application point. But for this application point, again, we should not be caught unawares. Part of the devil's strategy is to flood the market with false teachers, therefore making it harder and harder to determine what's true and what's not. So where do we turn when we're trying to figure out what's true and what's not? We turn to the Bible. We should not be caught unawares, but listen, we should be very, very careful who and what we are allowing into our lives through the spoken, written, whatever word. We can't just say, everybody come on. As long as you're talking Bible, I'm for it. Don't do that. Because many false teachers have gone out, many false teachers have arisen, and many have followed them. So, one little thing is this. If it's drawing a big, big crowd, be very wary of it. Very wary. Because many will follow. There are many false teachers. We have to also make sure that we can tell the false from the true. So that moves us to our second application point, which again, I just want to jump into because delude means there are and always have been many false teachers. Well, we have to deduce. We are called as Christians to know true from false teachings. And sometimes that can be very, very difficult. Looking at today's passage, let me give you some pointers on how to find false teachers. From today's passage, we see that false teachers deny Jesus. So again, always start with, what does this person say about Jesus? I've heard some of y'all talk before, and I've had the same experience. Uh, we had some um, Jehovah's Witnesses, I think, when we were in Tennessee. And man, they came to the door and I was ready. Hey, let's do this thing, man. You know? And I asked them what they thought about Jesus. That was my first starting point. I said, I believe that, that we're saved by grace through faith. They said, we believe that too. Okay. Yeah, I know, right. Okay. Yeah. Well, I believe that I'm only saved by the atoning sacrifice of Jesus' blood. They're like, yeah, we believe that too. Okay. Um, all right. Um, um, you know, they don't really, but they say they do. And I got four, five, six questions deep before I'm thinking, well, they agree with everything I believe. And then I said, well, I believe Jesus was God. And they're like, oh, no, we don't believe that. Aha. And they told me why I was wrong from their version of the Scripture. From John 1 where they insert an A. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Not God. Now you talk about subtle... A. Is that right? 
a God. You could even say that under your breath. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. What did you say? Ah, God. Ah, God. Ah, God. Ah. So as you start with Jesus, when you're trying to deduce false teachers, start with Jesus. These false teachers in our passage today, they went as far as denying the Master who bought them. They denied Jesus. Something else they did was they peddled sensuality. If it's about feelings, if it's about your pleasure, it's probably false. Now be careful because God has given us, the Scripture says, all things to enjoy. But when it's just about sensuality, when you can excuse away sexual sin and and seeking pleasure at the expense of holiness, it's false teaching. And that's, again, you've got to be careful because your best life now sounds really good. So they deny Jesus, they peddle sensuality, they're greedy. Follow their bank account if you can. And just because they're wealthy doesn't mean they're ungodly. Remember I said that. But doggone it, if, they're, if they need seed money to buy another private jet, and that's like become almost like a silly joke, but that's going on. We need to be more effective and we need to have greater numbers traveling to these different places to spread our gospel. So we need your money to buy a jet. I just don't see Paul saying, give me your seed money so I can buy a 747 or a Lear or whatever. So when they get focused on your money coming to them, watch out. Very well, very well could be false teacher. They exploit people, the text says. They're doing their transactions. They're doing their business to cheat people out of their money. So they're not just greedy. They're sneaky. Exposés of 2020 and people uncovering the secrets of these televangelists. And again, it's not just televangelists. Be careful because they're right here. They're in our town too. But you find out how many times they've exploited people. And they speak false words, the passage says. And how do we know that? Because again, we compare them to the Scripture and the clear intent of what Jesus and His apostles meant when they spoke the Word. What God meant when He spoke through the Old Testament prophets. And we compare their false words with the true words. That's ways that we can deduce whether somebody's a false teacher or not. Paul says this in 1 Timothy 6, 3-5. I have lost that. There it is. Got to go on back. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. There's a good sieve to work your thoughts and trying to figure out whether somebody's true or false. That's a good sieve to work it through as well. Are they puffed up? Are they conceited? The way of Christ teaches what? Humility. You're more important than I am. So we have to deduce whether somebody is a true teacher 
or a false teacher. So delude, deduce, and now denounce. Peter called these destructive heresies. So what are we supposed to do with them? Wink and nod. Oh man, you shouldn't say that. You shouldn't do that. No, we have to denounce them. What fellowship has light with darkness? What fellowship has Christ with Belial? Listen, we have to keep ourselves and we have to keep our flock far away from these false teachers. Part of Don and Bob and my job is to make sure that we're not letting destructive heresies creep into your life through false teachers. I want to know what you're reading. I want to know what you're listening to. And I want to be able to look at you in love and say, please don't. That guy, that gal is a snake. They're wolves. Stories told about John MacArthur one time, this, these members of this cult, and I won't get into the specifics of it, had come into, his, into the church there. He literally chased them out with a stick. Get out of here. You are not welcome here. Well, that's not very loving. Quite the contrary, that's incredibly loving. You keep the wolves away from the sheep. And we need to do that for each other. If somebody comes to you and says, man, I really heard this great message of the day by blank, and note I'm not dropping names, could and we should sometimes, you need to be able to look at them and say, oh no, please. Let me, and now, here's the thing. We have to be able to point out and clearly call out why it's false teaching. Okay? That's important. And you have to develop that discernment as well. And then we have to expose it and steer clear of it wholesale. We can't play with it and enjoy it by listening to their podcasts, reading their books, listening to their music. John Piper has five factors to consider when naming a false teacher. Okay? This is good. One, the seriousness and deceitfulness of the error. Two, the size of the audience. Is it growing? Three, the duration of their ministry. Did they make one blunder or are they constantly doing it? Four, the vulnerability of the people for whom you are responsible. And five, the role you have in influencing shepherds who really need to be discerning for who the false teachers are. Know your role. Know what these people are doing, how long they've been doing it. Is the crowd gathering? Is it growing? And how serious is it? How deceitful is the error? Those are good things to go by. I'll post a link to that article later so that you can read the whole thing. It's really good. I didn't have time to quote it all. But if you see these things and it is serious, it is deceitful, and the audience is growing and they've been around for a long time and they're constantly making this error or constantly spouting off this falsehood, and if there are vulnerable people, vulnerable people who are listening to it, and if you're in a place in their lives where you can influence them and the people who are shepherding, you need to do it. It's on you because that's what loving people do for each other. You don't want them smoking the stuff. You don't want them taking the same poison that's leading other people astray. And you're not putting yourself in a position of being better than them. And they may say that. Well, you think you're better than me? You're smarter than me? No, I'm just saying that's not biblical. Well, why is it not biblical? Because the Bible says this, and they're saying this. And it can't just be because you don't like them. I don't like that preacher. Well, why don't you like him? Get some on my nerves. He's got a grated voice. 
He's bald. Whatever. Those aren't reasons to warn people. It has to be heresies, destructive heresies. Don't play with it. Expose it. Point out and clearly call out the false teaching. Jude, again, I'm going to read, we read verse 4 before, but I'm going to read 3 and 4. Beloved, he says, Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 16, verse 17, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. 2 Corinthians 11, 3-4, But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaim, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you receive, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. He's like, look what you're doing. And then this in Galatians 1, just in case you're wondering, is it really that serious? I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one, but there are some who would trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. We have to denounce the false teachers. You have to denounce the false teachers. We have to denounce the false teachers. And not take this laying down like it's not a big deal. These, peoples are, these people are what Paul calls in other places enemies of the cross. And as Jesus' followers, we don't just say, well, I just won't pay attention to that. I'll act like it's not happening. No. Call it out and denounce it. Deduce whether it's biblical or not, and if it's not, denounce it. Well, I know they say some fringe things, but I really like their books. No. Well, I've been listening to this podcast for years and I just really am really built up by it. No! Stop! Quit! Denounce! May they be accursed! Do you get that? It's a big deal. Delude, deduce, denounce, and finally deliver. We are to make sure that we are delivering to the world, to the church, the pure, true gospel that Jude said was once for all delivered to us. How's your gospel? How's the gospel that you're presenting? Is it biblical? Is it compromised? Because we're living in a day and age where we're not really strong on calling out sin. Jesus loves you. 
is the gospel. Jesus loves you just as you are is the gospel today. Is that the biblical gospel? No. God is angry with the wicked every day, the Bible says. Repent and believe the gospel. Nobody can be forgiven of their sins unless they know that they're a sinner. That's you, that's me, that's everybody. And we are caught up in a vortex of false gospels today that will not denounce sin, that will not call out sinners and have them repent. Come to Jesus just as you are. That's, that's half true. Yes, come to Jesus as you are, but you can't stay as you are once you've come to Jesus. If there's no repentance, if there's no change, you believed a false gospel. And they've peddled sensuality to you. You can stay in your sins. God wants you to be happy. God wants you to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. May it never be. What gospel are we delivering to the world? If it's not the gospel that was delivered to us through the Scriptures, through the teachings of Jesus and His apostles, we are introducing destructive heresies into the world. Make sure the gospel you're delivering is the biblical gospel. God delivered to us the true gospel and we are to transmit the same unadulterated pure gospel that has been passed down through the generations to our generation. The gospel is found in the Scriptures, in the teachings of Jesus and the apostles. Listen to me. I don't... No, I about said something I shouldn't say. We are not looking for dreams. We're not looking for revelations. We're not looking for heightened emotions. We're not looking for the newest trends, a better marketing plan, or some way to stay in our sins. We're looking for the inspired words of God Himself found in the Scriptures. We are to be focused and intent upon clearly and consistently speaking God's words, not our own words. Our goal is to be for His glory, not our gain. We are to speak the truth in love to people who are damned unless they repent in order to see their souls delivered from judgment and eternal perdition. And we are not to be peddlers of goods for the sake of greed or fame. This is heavy. This is a big deal. Three little verses. What are you going to do with it? It's in your court. 2 Corinthians 2.17, last passage. It's so important, I've got it in here twice. For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's Word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God we speak in Christ. That's how we're to deliver the gospel. Don't delude yourself. Don't let yourself be deluded. Deduce what's true and what's false. Denounce what's false and deliver the true unadulterated Word of God to a lost and dying world that needs salvation found only in the words of the biblical gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You have given us a perfect gospel. We thank You that we do have a perfect Savior. And we thank You, God, that Your Word is clear, that as for this God, His way is perfect. 
And we are imperfect and we all do stumble in many ways. And if we need to extend grace to someone who misspoke, may we extend grace and correct them in love. But God, if there is a false teacher who is speaking destructive heresies, may we deduce that and may we denounce them openly, publicly. And may we protect each other from them and their teaching. And God, in a, in, a, in a world where there's so much information and so many talking heads and so many different ways that people can get their message out, God, help us to be vigilant, not afraid, not scared, not anxious, not worried, but standing firm in our faith, delivering the true biblical gospel and denouncing anything that's not that. May we deliver unto the world the faith that was once for all delivered to us. To the praise of Your glorious grace, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive a benediction? Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, church. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And all God's people said, Amen. You're dismissed, but stay neat with us if you can.